Washington step of four over seven. And you find it on page 965 of the Bibles in front of you. So reading from verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we had the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Well, there's a handout on your table if you'd like to follow along. Well, some of you may know that in my previous job, I was working in a bank. And my role was doing FX foreign exchange sales on the trading floor. And you might call the team that I was in a really glorious team. I remember being invited to one of my colleagues' houses. It was in a really posh area. I just think about beautiful grounds. As you go up the driveway, you see the house in the distance, a big, big mansion. And as you're going up the driveway, another colleague of mine will be driving up in his Ferrari 512. And the food, obviously, there was a private chef. Uh, really lavish, uh, really impressive. And so if you wanted to find glory, uh, that was the team to be part of. At the same time, when I was working with that team, um, I was also running a lunchtime Bible study group uh, for some of my colleagues in the bank. And again, that was not without its challenges. So it was busy, you know, trying to juggle work and also prepare for Bible studies and to encourage people to come along. But the other really tricky thing was that being part of the sales team, you always needed someone to man the desk in the event that someone, a customer, would call during the lunchtime. And so I recall uh, going to my colleague and asking her if she wouldn't mind um, just covering me on Thursday lunchtime. So that's when we had our Bible study. And I can still very clearly uh, remember her face when I asked her that question. The look of scorn and ridicule as she said, what do you guys do? Do you hold hands and sing Kumbaya together? And so on one hand, right, this is the world, right, the world that offers us glory, a glory in the eyes of the world. And on the other hand, a gospel work that involves risk, risk of being ridiculed. And by all accounts, it looks inglorious. Yet if you've been with our series so far, um, I've quite explicitly stated that the aim of our series in 2 Corinthians is to encourage you to reorient your entire life around the gospel under gospel work. I'm not just um, thinking that it's a good idea, but reorient your decisions, how you spend your time, your money, your decisions of your roles and what you do at work, all that to be re revolving around the gospel. And also take every chance to speak. But as I say that, you might say, what? <laughs> Why? Uh, especially when it looks so inglorious, so, um, so weak. 
And again, I don't need to convince you that gospel work is inglorious, you know, apart from the, the eye rolling that you get or the how interesting comment that you, you will receive. I think there's an internal battle uh, in all of us about the feelings of inadequacy or incompetency. Uh, you might think my own life perhaps is a bit of a mess. Uh, who am I to tell people that I know the truth? Uh, there are questions which I, I can't even answer. Uh, how, do I un how, do I, how do I, how am I expected to answer all the questions that my colleagues have? And maybe you're not a Christian here today. Uh, if you ever had a Christian colleague trying to share the gospel with you or to invite you to this lunchtime talk, uh, know that it takes a lot of courage to do so. It is not easy. And so here is our question this lunchtime. Why does gospel work look, appear, feel so very inglorious? Well, for the Corinthian church, um, for the church in Corinth, that was the key question that they were grappling with. And this uh, was the main issue because Paul, uh, you see Paul, the great apostle, he was claiming to be the very ambassador of the victorious Christ. Uh, he was claiming that his speech contained the very glory of God. But the issue that the church had with Paul was that it looked very much like, like Paul, as someone who was weak, inglorious, unimpressive. And so why get involved with the work that Paul was in when it looks like Paul? And so in this section, chapters 2 all the way to 7, Paul is developing his argument about gospel work. And if you go to your handout, I put the structure there of chapters 2 to 7. Uh, he explains um, his work, gospel work. He speaks about its, its achievement, its appearance, its aim, its appeal, and its admonishment. And for this week and for next week, we are thinking all about the appearance, the appearance of gospel work. So if you want to find a full answer, well, you've got to come back as well next week. And so why? Why does gospel work appear to be so inglorious? Well, key text for this week and also next week is right there in chapter 4, verse 7. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have treasure in jars of clay. Well, that is the, the main metaphor that Paul is using to help us understand a gospel work. On one hand, a clay jar, something that is insignificant, a lowly clay pot. It's expendable. It's a one-time use item. It's fragile. Uh, if you drop the clay jar from this height, it will smash into a million pieces. On the other hand, in the clay jar, you find treasure, glorious treasure. It is precious and precarious at the very same time. And notice how Paul describes the experience of it. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you notice what Paul is saying? It's both dying and living at the same time. Afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I think what he wants us to imagine is this clay jar, which is cracked and brittle because it's been battered and bruised, but for some reason it is held together by some form of divine 
glue, miraculously held together. But because of its cracks, you can see something shining and shimmering inside. Treasure, shining through the cracks, showing the glorious treasure. And that's Paul's point. Glorious treasure, but intentionally displayed in a cracked up clay jar. Gospel work looks like treasure in a jar of clay. So that's the main metaphor to sort of picture in our heads. Treasure in a cracked up clay jar. But again, why? Or why is it done this way? Why has God chosen to do it this way? And if you're following the handout, we're in our first point. Because it embodies the life and death of Jesus. Because it embodies the life and the death of Jesus. Again, look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You see what Paul is saying? Um, his life, it embodies both the life and the death of Jesus. Notice what he doesn't say in verse 10. Now, he doesn't say, always, always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in you. See, he doesn't say that. He says it may be manifested in our body. And again in verse 11, for we who live are always given over to death so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. See his point? In Paul's body is both death and life at the same time. Crucifixion and resurrection at the same time. The cross and the empty tomb. It's a clager and in it, there's treasure. It is this glorious and inglorious mix that embodies the life and death of Jesus. And so it's really clear, uh, worth getting clear what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that Christians enjoy suffering. They enjoy looking inglorious. Nor is he trying to create an excuse for Christians to look weak. <coughs> He's not even saying that suffering is a means to an end. As if Christians are weak in order to look forward to the new creation, or Christians are weak in order to increase their dependency on God. See, what Paul is saying is that suffering is an end in itself. It is a combination of ups and the downs, <clears throat> the glorious and inglorious, life and death. It is treasure in the jar of clay. It is identifying with Jesus, his life and death, and that's what makes God look great. Thank you. That's really useful. <laughs> And the thing to realize is <clears throat> Paul's description of gospel work. It's a description for, for all of us. It's not unique to him as an apostle. Um, the, the reason, the motivation of why he speaks was not because he's been commissioned to be an apostle or his apostleship, but Jesus. You see, Paul's ministry is modeled after the life and death of Jesus. And so if gospel work feels inglorious, Paul is saying it's exactly 
how it's meant to feel. It is meant to be that way. And I suppose that helps, because I'm, I'm sure many of us will feel inadequate. Uh, we struggle to speak about Jesus in the office because we're afraid. And what if our colleagues ask us about dinosaurs, about evolution, about philosophy, and you think, oh no, please help someone, please help. Or they, what if they point out really tricky verses? Uh, what about the Levitical laws? And again, we think, oh, someone, please help. And again, we struggle with inadequacy, right? Sometimes it's so much a struggle to even stay as a Christian that I don't tell people to follow Jesus. But Paul says that is exactly right. That is exactly how it was meant to feel. Even as you struggle, yet you still try to speak, that is embodying both the death and the life of Jesus. But more than just embodying the life and death, it's also embodying his speech. And that brings us to our second point. It embodies the death-defying speech of the Spirit of Jesus. Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The thing to notice here is the speech that Paul is saying here is speech in the face of persecution and death. It's a death-defying speech. Paul, um, over the course of this section, has been describing his speaking ministry in the face of persecution. He's been afflicted, persecuted, and uh, struck down. Uh, yet, he still continues to speak. And then verse 14 as well, he speaks with the resurrection in view. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him, is recognizing that in the face of death, there's a resurrection to come. And the language that, uh, that Paul writes, I believe, and so I spoke in verse 13. Well, it's quoting from Psalms 116. And uh, the psalmist writes um, in Psalm 116, is in face of persecution and death. And he writes, the snares of death encompass me, says the psalmist. The pangs of Sheol has laid hold on me. And in the face of death, the psalmist says, I believe, and so I spoke. So Paul says that we believe, and so we also speak. It's death-defying speech, speech even when you're face-to-face -face with persecution and death. And that kind of speech is the same kind of speech that Jesus did. If you keep speaking in the face of persecution, you're doing exactly what Jesus did. Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith. I'm going to suggest that the spirit there is not small s, as in small s spirit, but capital S, um, the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, you share the same spirit of Jesus. And so think about who, uh, what happened to Jesus when he was questioned by the chief priests, the Pharisees and Pilate. Uh, they asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? And in the face of persecution, he spoke. It is as you have said. And so if you speak in the face of persecution, you show that you share the same spirit of Jesus. And so point one and point two, they're making a very similar point. <clears throat> Not only do we embody the life and death of Jesus, we also embody his death-defying speech. And the thing to imagine is the clay jar uh, cracks all around it. 
barely being held together by some sort of divine glue. And as Paul speaks, or as you speak, it's as if the treasure inside glows and light starts to beam out of that clay jar. You embody the same spirit as Jesus. And the outcome? Well, thirdly and more briefly, I look at verse 7. Well, it displays the glory of God to the world. Verse 7 again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, treasure in jars of clay is God's preferred method of displaying his power and glory. Why? Because it looks exactly, it looks exactly like his son. See, Jesus, he best displays God's glory. And so Paul is absolutely convinced as we embody his life and his death and his speech. That is the thing that will impact the world. It is the clay jar ministry that will impact the world. Uh, verse 15, over the page. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Divine glue holding the clay jar together, but divine light shining out of the clay jar, impacting the world. And so we ask, why does gospel work look so inglorious? Why does it appear that way? Why does it feel that way? Paul says, well, because it's meant to be so. It's meant to be treasure in a clay jar. And if you have been ridiculed or you fear being ridiculed, or if you feel inadequate or incompetent, Paul says that is exactly, that's exactly how it's meant to be. As you embody the life, the death, and the speech of Jesus. Now, here's an excellent quote by Richard Borkham speaking about the Christian experience. See, what Paul is saying here, he's saying more than just saying that your life needs to match up with your message. He's saying for Christians, Christian weakness is not the point of failure, but Christian weakness is where the deepest integration of your life and your message is possible. If one can respond to God at a point in his experience as Paul did, it will be for him an experience of Jesus Christ and for his ministry an occasion for God's power to be most evidently at work. See what you're saying? It's not failure. Weakness is not failure, but the deepest point of integration with Jesus Christ. And so there's something hugely profound about how God chooses to work in this world, how to display his glory, not in the fleshly, fleshy, but ordinary lives, yet with extraordinary courage to speak, which is totally contrary to the world. There's something highly attractive, I think, to be part of this work. It's not a veneer of the glorious life, but really shallow underneath. It is not the lie of the ideal modern secular man who organizes his life around his personal well-being and be never committed beyond what he can bear. Never weak, never stretching himself. It is realistic of the life we live in. It is hard. It is challenging. It takes courage. It is not easy to speak about Jesus, to organize a prayer meeting, to run an event in the office, to juggle the pressures of work and family, and then your willingness to speak 
It is not easy to keep pressing on being Christian and resisting temptation at the same time. Yet there is real joy, deep joy, and real life, real life to be experienced. It is nothing less than taking up your cross and following your crucified saviour. And so this is an encouragement, I think, perhaps for some of us who might consider ourselves less mature Christians. And you look at the more mature Christians and you say, oh, they're really put together and where they are feels like a long way to go. The encouragement is that as you experience the Christian life, it is the experience of a clay jar. If you are doubting but not giving up, if you are struggling with sin, failing, yet keep coming back to ask for forgiveness, if you feel inadequate, yet you still try to speak about him. Bingo, Paul says. That is exactly, exactly right. And I guess for the rest of us, um, it is a helpful reminder, perhaps for all of us who are uh, being Christians for a longer time, uh, there is a Christian lie, a very subtle lie. It's not the outright prosperity gospel, but the temptation to be both glorious in this world, but also a decent Christian to be treasure in an expensive China vase. What we need to remember, that is not how God chooses to work in this world. He chooses the weak, the shame to display his glory. So we need to remember not to obscure the treasure inside. Well, why does gospel work feel so inglorious? Well, verse seven again. But we have this treasure in jars of play, to show, in order to show that a surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Well, remember, we have two weeks. Uh, today's the first week. Next week, we have more to say about the appearance um, of gospel ministry. Because Klager, well, it's not the final form. There's more to come. Flip the page to verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or well, you want to find out more? You've got to come back next week when I pray for our time today. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Father, we do pray and ask that you might help us to embrace this clay jar ministry, not to push it away, but to be willing to be clay jars ourselves so that the treasure um, will be able to shine out of us. And so we ask for your help, and we pray that because of us and the way we embrace this might really impact the world and offices. And we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.